0: Well, it's challenging, you know, to see ourselves in a similar culture uh, that the children of Israel were in 2,600 years ago, isn't it? Um, So as uh, I was thinking about that with what happened in our culture this past week, some things began to wander through my mind, and uh, some things began uh, began to look at things, and uh, emotions are high. Uh, words are flying around like a swarm of mosquitoes uh, stinging whoever they will, and they're leaving, you know, welts of anger, hatred, resentment, and those types of things. And you you might be, hey, I am plugged and moved over to MeWe, so I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, just uh, this past two weeks, three primary things. Um, I could go four weeks, but I won't. Uh, so, for those of you that raised your kids on Dr. Seuss books, you big sinners. Six of them. Dr. Seuss Enterprise pulled six of them because of that. It doesn't, it doesn't stop there. You know, what's really hard to teach when I like, read social media sometimes because it's like I'm praying more about forgiveness than I am about preparing for teaching. Disney. He could probably get a VHS tape of Peter Pan for a couple thousand bucks now. They cut Peter Pan off. Uh, Swiss Family Robinson's gone. Dumbo is gone. And things really started when, uh, if I say this right, Gina Carano got fired from the Mandalorian uh, because she made a statement saying, that uh, racial profiling and targeting started in Poland before the Nazis got there. That's why she got fired. With a historical picture, historically accurate. And this isn't to mention the automatic censorship that's beginning to happen. Okay? Houston Baptist professor wrote a book. Amazon don't like it. Delete. This is, this is where we are at within our culture and you know a following particularly social justice and critical race theory for a year and a half now I've come to find out that there's a deliberate promotion of tribalism and you might be well I know what that is well let me just read you this definition because it's easy to get confused tribalism is the idea that we should divide people into group identities then assign them undesirable or evil traits to that group in such a way that we don't see the unique image bearers of God in them. Whether it's political polarization, whether it's something else, I don't like you because and you automatically assess judgment, guilt and punishment upon that group, whatever it might be. And this statement was from Dr. Thaddeus J. Williams in his book, "Confronting Injustice Without Compromising the Truth: Twelve Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice." It just came out last year. And in fact, I may open up this for an adult discipleship study after I finish the book on a Sunday morning or something. But in this book, the guy that he has do the forward is John M. Perkins. And I'll just give you a quick snapshot of him. He was born in 1930 on a cotton plantation. He was part of the civil rights movement, and he's a pastor. And in two sentences, he describes the worst thing that happened to him was having a fork shoved up his nose and down his throat till he was bleeding out of both of them in the sheriff's station in the 60s. I think he knows what injustice means. And I was reading this forward, and I'm like, okay, what is he going to say? And then here's what he says in these four points, four admonishments to propel true justice. He says, start with God. He's bigger, and you need to conform your life to his will, his purpose, and his mission. And he is bigger than all this. Just like we sang the last song, He's sovereign over all. The second thought one he says, be one in Christ. As you look, I want you to look around. Just look around. Some of us are uglier than others. I'm up here, so. But don't give in to tribalism to any degree. We're one in Christ. One. He goes on to say, preach the gospel. What? Don't throw money at it? What? Don't develop a program? What? Don't rescue them? No, he says, preach the gospel. Because it's just as easy for somebody to go to hell with a warm blanket and a full stomach and suffer for eternity instead of having the hope of the good news in Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, the gospel didn't start in America. It started in a different place. So it's multicultural. The gospel is multicultural. And the last thing is to teach the truth. Without truth, there is no justice. Without truth, there's no righteousness or rightness. And I want you to think about this. Without truth, there is no love. Because somebody is going to have their skewed definition of that. Well, if you loved, then... If you loved, then... If you loved, then... And we have, what, 300 people in here. We could probably come up with 300 definitions of love. But for Jesus, we have one. One. So we always try to create some man-made solution to everything that's happening around us. And I hope that you can see a sliver of what's happening in our culture and in our nation, in our world. And you pay attention to that. And just in case you wondered, this isn't something that's new. This has been going on forever. And we are acting like we are some unique bastion of truth. What? All of this injustice is happening in our country? What? Hey, let's just go back to the beginning. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, I'm taking him out. Cain. And if you keep going, the apostles addressed this in the first century church. This is not new. But, but we're like flabbergasted, like what's going on? If, if you read in, in Galatians 3, 26 through 28, listen, listen to this from what I've just said. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen. Here's the tribalism that Paul was writing to Galatia, which is a, which is a province in modern-day Turkey. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One. One. Then you hop across the pond to Ephesus in Greece, Ephesians two, eleven through eighteen. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, Dan's translation, you were once big fat sinners, who are called uncircumcised uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, tribalism made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who, were, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made both one? to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Both places, modern day Greece, modern day Turkey, the places Paul was going. The same thing was happening in Jerusalem with Judaizers coming into the church. Racial profiling, social justice, tribalism was alive in the church in the first century. So don't you think we should like pay attention to what this says because those things are specifically addressed in there that we just read. But we again will come up with our own programs or solutions to solve all these things. One thing that should encourage us is Jesus prayed that there would be unity within the church Stronger than superglue. John 17. I do not pray for these alone, and he's meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? If that's you, raise your hand. Isn't that mind-boggling is that he, in the garden, prayed for you because you were going to believe in the words that were written by Paul that we just read about who Jesus Christ is. That should put a smile on your face. Praying for you before you were born. Listen to what he says. That they all may be rich. Oh no, that's the wrong version. That they all may prosper. No. That they all may be one. One. As you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved loved them as you have loved me. Four times in that verse is the word one. And that prayer is for you to be one as you look around this room. Now, did you catch it? Because if you are not one, and if you are harboring aspects of of tribalism and segregation and prejudice within your heart, you're denying the gospel. You're denying that God sent Jesus to pay for people's sins. Do you remember what we read there? You're to be one so that you testify about these things. Your unity within this building with other Christians is to testify of the fact of the good news and to testify of the fact that God loves these people. So if we're engaged in, in fights with adjectives across Facebook, what's going on? Just to be clear, I didn't read anybody's posts. So if you're getting convicted, that's the Holy Spirit, not me. Well, except for John Schatzinger's. But they're usually Scripture. That we would be one in God so that others would believe. We're imbued with God's glory to be unified. That we would be made complete as we are one. That the whole world would know that God sent His Son because we are one. So some questions... As a universal body of believers throughout the entire world, have we failed? These are rhetorical. Please don't raise your hand. As Christians in the U.S., have we failed? As we contemplate this, before I even get to the main passage, sitting right here, have we failed? But that ice pick of conviction, Lord, have I failed to be one with the body of Christ. So instead of like stepping on your feet with golf shoes and spikes, it's like taking off and beating myself in the head with them. Because I have. There's times that I've, I've changed things. I've tried to pursue man-made solutions. I've let go of my identity in Christ so that I could be American. That came first. I've let go of my identity to be a disciple maker, to be a platform promoter. I've exalted facts over faith exalted the study of God over knowing God traded the anchor of my soul for the weight of self-expression on social media I failed so let's pray Lord we we come before you and, and I just pray that even though this introduction might seem heavy Is that the joy that comes with it as we reach the end will be something that's imprinted upon our hearts? That you would recall us to the things that we're to know of our relationship with you, our relationship with others, and the eternity would be something on our mind instead of what's in two hours. I ask that you transform our eyes to see the things that you see, our our ears to hear the things that uh, we need to hear to minister to others, and our heart above all else, because only you know that, that there would be no facade or face masks of deception between each other, even within this room or within families, within small groups, but that there would be an overwhelming sense of oneness because of the power of the Spirit. May we truly be that light that draws others to Christ. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So as you turn to John 4, you'll recall that uh, it's easy to pursue man-made solutions or we could put our hope in someone else, something else, whatever program. We can put our hope in money, all those things. But I want to get one thing imprinted upon your mind. I pray it's like a, a... uh, a rancher's cattle brand that goes upon your heart, and your soul, your brain, and it, it never ever leaves. Jesus is the one that gave the solution for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. John thirteen thirty five says, "By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." foundation where we're going to start other people are going to know you're a Jesus follower by how you're loving the person in the seat well that's my spouse okay how you're loving the person 3 rows behind you other people are going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus that you're a believer by how you're loving somebody that's here especially in 1st John John had to address problems in the church does anybody else think like first century church was perfect when you're going through it sometimes? It's simple, they meant houses, you know, they sang cappella, there wasn't a smoke machine, oh, sorry. And as we, as we go on, it's like, there was, it was perfect in church in the first century, right? Hey, which apostle's coming this year, you know? But it, we read some of those things that they're addressing as they go through it. Now in First John, He had to address doctrinal and practical issues within the church. And here's the surprising thing if you go through this. He calls them liars. Calls them liars. So he says, if you say you have not sinned, you are a liar. Anybody else want to get a letter from the Apostle John to our church? (laughs) If you say that you know God but don't keep his commandments, you are a liar. If you deny that Jesus is the Messiah, you are a liar. If you deny the spirit's testifying to the son of God, you are a liar. And there's a fifth one that we're going to cover tonight. Maybe that's why apostles sent letters so they can read it first before they got there. And we're going to cover one singular characteristic one focus for tonight that we should be known by. So we'll start in verse 7. Love, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God has was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Behold, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In this chapter, hitting this point, because right before this is about antichrists, and that really doesn't tie with love very well. So that's the first six verses. But this is a call to love. If we look at what he says, loved ones, beloved, loved ones, actively always actively love one another that's how he's starting off this paragraph because look look at how he goes through this in verse 7 love is of god god's the owner of love not merriam webster okay not the not the other dictionaries they're not the owner of love god's the owner of love and he's the father why because those who love are born of god And not only are they born, they know God. So when true love abides and dwells within a person and they're pursuing that, it is a relationship with God. They are born again. But look at the contrast. Those who don't love, they don't know love. If they do not love, they don't even know what the definition is. And then they don't know God it is impossible to love somebody with the true definition of what love is without a relationship with God. Because then you're left to yourself or your group of friends to help you define a definition. As he continues to go through this, God is love. How can God be love? Is that one ever like make your head start to hurt because we use this as an adjective or a a verb or I love someone as a verb but this is using it as a noun God noun is noun love God's identity is love it's who he is the true definition of love is inextricably unified in the existence of God Do you understand there is no true love without God? There isn't any. But a man-made solution is what? Money, things, time. And all of that gets distorted, doesn't it? Responsibilities. It could be the best Christian marriage program that there is. And you can go through that but if there is no relationship with god the author of love the owner of love the father of love you just got a great set of coping skills god has to be in the center of this unless you think that god started or love started with creation there's a unique phrase that jesus uses in that prayer in john 17 he says for you loved me before before the foundation of the world. Love existed before creation. It existed before then. So it's not like we're going to redefine things and decide what it means. God is the one that established it. Look at verse 9 God's revealed love, He manifested it, He, he showed it, He physically revealed its presence. He made itself known. He manifested it toward us. John is speaking to all that are the, who are receiving that letter. And look, that love that was manifested got a sent His only begotten son. It was sent. But here's the thing I want you to grasp into the world. It doesn't say it was sent to only good people. It doesn't say it was sent only to the righteous. It doesn't say it was sent only to the Jewish people. It says the world. Now, with that definition of world, you need to think. It's people that are in rebellion against God that he still loved them and sent Jesus. It's to people that are still living in disobedience of knowing what is right. It is people that are depraved that without God cannot make a holy decision but we'll totally be selfish. It's in that world, a world of corruption, that he manifested love through sending his son. Makes it a little bit more weighty. Makes us more appreciative. Now as you reflect, I want you to think of your worst The bottom of the barrel. It is so low you're under the scum of the barrel. Day before you knew Jesus. And you could have been doing whatever you were doing. And you know what? He still loved you. And he still sent his son. Love defined. Verse 10. In this is love. We didn't initiate it says not that we love God. Now this is what I want you to hear. It is not all about you and your love. It's all about you who God loved. He loved you. You didn't love him first. He loved you at your worst, your ugliest, your meanest, your, your honorist, most despicable, horrible. He loved you. God's the one that did it verse that always smacks me upside the head, Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the perfect. No. He died for only the righteous. No, he died for just the good guys. He only died for Coloradans. No. He died for the ungodly. God loved the ungodly. God sent his son to the ungodly. Ungodly means I want nothing to do with you. Is that he still loved you and sent Christ. And it gets worse. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. So there's a few brave fellows out there. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us awesome now we have a nice five dollar word in that verse 10 of uh, 1 John 4 don't we propitiation say that three times fast backwards in pig Latin not going to do it and looking at this and digging a a lot of what people want to say is the wrath appeasing sacrifice and so oh we have to appease God's wrath so he doesn't fry our face off right but read with me this batman Who sent? Who sent? Did you like 911, I need salvation? Nope. God's the one that sent, isn't he? So if God is so wrathful and angry at you, why did he still love you and send it? So think of it this way. God sent the Son to be the appeasing sacrifice that purifies He determined what justice is, what holiness is. He provided the sacrifice. He sent the sacrifice and he accepted the sacrifice for the payment for your sins. So part of knowing that God is love is he's not the black-robed, white-wigged guy with the big gavel saying, go to hell, go to hell, go to hell. He goes, even though they're ungodly, even though they're enemies, I love them. And here is your ticket through Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is take it. Love defined. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what love is. And the closing of this part, verse 11, it almost says the same thing as we started in verse 7. Beloved, loved ones, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So there's a deduction. If God so loved us, if He loved us in this way, the true condition of love... He sent sent his son to be sacrificed to pay for our sin, atone for our sin, to purify us. If God went to this extreme, is it such a big deal to ask you to love your brother or sister in Christ? John calls them to love. We're called to love because that is who God is and what he does, and we believe that. Abiding love in verse 12. Look at how he goes on. No one has seen God at any time. So we just jump from love and provision and God's sacrifice. And he loves us no matter how it is. And we're supposed to love each other because of his love. No one's seen God at any time. It's like John did a mic drop. It's just what does this have to do with the rest of this passage? Well, let's let's look to see what it has to do. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. This this grammar, if we love one another, is the uh, true condition. Uh, God abides in us. Then, if this is true, if we love each other, then God abides in us. He occupies, takes up residence, he he lives with he cohabitates with us his love is perfected in us now all of us know we're on that path of perfection right please don't say I've arrived because I'm sure I will do something offensive enough sooner or later to make you trip up on love but we're maturing we're being completed and we know of this relationship look at verse 13 by this we know by this we know Signed, sealed, delivered, it's done. We know this. Testimony of the Spirit, because He has given us His Spirit. Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit confirms with your spirit. You love God. God abides in you. Love other people. Going on, verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So the disciples, John speaking of, of the beginning in chapter 1 of who has, was with Jesus, they've seen the Son of God, and they're testifying. They're witnessing that God sent Him as a Savior. So this is like a step up. So no one has seen God at any time, but John is saying, but we were His disciples and we were with Him, and we're telling you the truth that these are the things that happened and these are the things that He said. So adding some credence to it. And he goes on to talk about this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So the confession of Jesus as the Son of God reveals the abiding presence of God. And it reveals a relationship with him. And that's part of it. Okay? Jesus Christ is that bridge of abiding with God. He is the one abiding with with us, in Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So again, he, John is writing to them saying, we know this and we believe this, that God truly loves us. In fact, not that God is doing the activity of love. He is love. He is love. No doubt about it. And who abides in love abides in God. So abiding in love equals abiding in God. And God abides there as well. I encourage you to read John chapter 15. Okay? If you read John 13 through 17 and then you came back and just read the, these few short verses of 7 through 21, you're going to be like fireworks in the brain because it's all connected together. Okay, The same thing that was in John that he wrote in the Gospel of John, he is reiterating it to these churches in this letter. So the question is to ask is, are we abiding in God? But that means we have to ask the same question is, are we abiding in love? Are we treating the Holy Spirit like the disgruntled tenant, because there's someone you don't want to love? We have tried to harden our hearts over and over. You need to love this person. Nope, I can't. You need to love this person. Nope, I can't. Holy Spirit, quit talking to me. I'm hardening my heart. We need to go on because abiding, call to love, abiding in love, but look at love perfected or perfected love in these last verses. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. How do we know that we have perfected love? So mature love, completed love, is that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Whoa, somebody put the brakes on. Because even if I try to use my simple imagination to be standing before the Bema seat where we receive rewards for how we've served God, but we're giving account, my knees are still knocking right now at the vastness and the holiness of God, of perfect love existing there. But God abiding in us, of love abiding in us, is there shouldn't be that response. Yes, we will fall down in worship, like Jared's hat says, or it says mercy tonight. So it, it, We should fall down in worship, but being in his presence, we need Jesus' righteousness to exist there. We need purified, cleansed from our sins to exist in his presence. That is what our boldness is in. It is not in our own works of self-righteousness. Now I know I'm probably the only one that's guilty. I screw up. I want to read my Bible twice as much. That's called the dead work of righteousness. We're not talking about reprioritization. We're talking about us doing things that we think are holy to make ourselves feel better. And that's hard because we're in a culture of pick yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going, aren't we? Hey, just so you know, there ain't no bootstrap pullers in heaven. It's only those that have, by faith, accepted that grace in Jesus Christ. All right? So the, the, the same thing is that even though we will recognize the presence of God and his holiness and there will be a reverence that we have there it's because of him abiding in us the holy spirit abiding in us the truth of what jesus christ has done that we say ah, yes i belong here you this isn't in my notes so this is for free this is hard this is hard I've had interviews for counseling with people here at the church that have went here for 15 years, and I ask one question. If they don't answer some questions, I'd ask one question. So let's say you leave, frex, you know, a frex bus hits you, you t you t boned, you die, you go to heaven, and you're standing before God. He says, "Why should you be with me for eternity?" What what would you respond? I'm a pretty good person. 'm I'm, I'm faithful, I go to church. and I'm, that's with somebody that is hearing the Word of God taught for 15 years. Brothers, sisters, it's only Jesus Christ and what He's done while we're even there. okay? And God loved you so much, He knew you couldn't do it. So he provided the way. So we can't earn that righteousness there. Look at that last phrase in verse 17. As he is, so are we in the world. We are true image bearers of love in this world. We're creating the image, right? Genesis chapter 1. Screwed up, Genesis chapter 3. We started getting hair in our ears, calluses on our hands because we were sinners, right? Screwed up. Still an image bearer. But this is where I want you to cross the fence from loving those that are in this room, loving Christians in this state, around the world, because were you an image bearer before you were saved? You sure were. You were just a broken one. And Christianity as a whole is giving into tribalism and forgetting that used to be me. I used to be a far off, I used to be an alien, I used to be a stranger. I used to be ungodly. I used to be an enemy. But for some reason, because of likely fear, is we've stopped loving the people that we used to be with. Does God still love them? He doesn't say God still loved the world until 1994, did he? World, all time, all people. Who are we to say, I don't love them 18 there's no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment but he who fears has not been made perfect in love this is like check your salvation bro because if you have love there is no fear there isn't any Oh, and by the way, you should cast it out. Fear should be gone from your heart, from your mind. We're not going to be tormented. Fear involves torment. What he is saying is if you if you love God, you got a relationship with God, Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, you are not going to hell. That's what it's saying. There's no fear. But if you're so worried, am I good enough? Then you're saying the cross isn't enough. You're saying God's love isn't enough. I have to do something else. And you should be afraid. You should be afraid of torment. Because it's too simple to have faith. It's too simple. I need to do something else. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Fear is the opposite of love. We love him because he first loved us. Verse 19. Our perfected love is ground in God's love. He's our source. He's the one that initiated God loved us. Causing a response within us to love him. Now comes the hammer. Are you ready? Ready? This is like a 20-pound sledgehammer putting in railroad spikes in the railroad. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's our fifth one. John's calling out the people in this church, okay? And just to get your, get your mind straight, just look around you, okay? So Tom, over to here, just your first four rows, that's the church in the city that you're at. You, you 15 people here, that's the one. and the letter comes to you. It's coming to your group, your group. Hey guys, it's coming down to Canyon City. There you go. And he's told you, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. Okay, take Apostle John off the pastor rotation list, because we don't like to hear it, do we? Because it is up in your face, it is in your grill saying that if you really think of it for those of you that like big words the inner conflict okay your cognizant dissonance you have mental anguish from holding two conflicting beliefs values or attitudes i love god but i hate this group of people that's inside of you you do not know what to do because the scripture has called you a liar Outer. Jesus would have called you a hypocrite in Matthew chapter 6, wouldn't he? It means you, you look this way with this group. I look great. Look at me. Got this nice shirt on. I go to the gym. And then I come over with this group. Angry Pastor Dan. I don't like this group. That's what a hypocrite is. They were a drama actor that put these big, garish faces on so that the people in the cheap seats could still see their emotion. But the emotion wasn't true what was within them. If you love God and hate your brother, inner, outer, but Godward, if we believe Scripture is inspired, that John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, who's the one that just called him a liar? That's heavy stuff. God is. By power of the Spirit, drew the pen in John's hand in his brain to write the words that he wanted us to have today. And then he asks this question of contention. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, who you're sitting next to, who's your next door neighbor, who's in the marketplace, how can he love God whom he's not seen? Do you remember when we started? No one has seen God at any time. I'm standing right in front of you. I'm saying, I believe in Christ. I believe in these things by faith, and you hate me. But yet you're saying you love God and you don't see Him. It doesn't make sense. I need help, I need counsel. I don't have the stuff to, to shovel my driveway on Sunday morning. I'm right in front of you. And we have Christ that unifies us, that's, bro- that's broken down this wall of separation, that he's made us one. But you hate me. Holy Spirit is saying something to you right now. Look at the conclusion in verse 21. This commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This isn't new. This has been happening since Jesus was on the earth because he said it straight up. John thirteen thirty-four. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he's going to define what the standard is. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. We are to love others as Christ did. Now I want you to shake up your brain cells and start to remember. Peter denied him three times and Jesus loved him. The Canaanite woman come because of her daughter. And she says, just give me the crumbs. And he says, I haven't found greater faith in Israel. The women of adultery. Oh, the super righteous, superficial loving guys had a what? Rock in their hand. I wonder if he wrote love. I wonder if he wrote agape. I wonder if he wrote to set him his mercy in the ground that made them leave. He loved her. Those extremities, the good Samaritan, that's a good one to read, isn't it? Because Samaritans and Jewish people had nothing to do with each other. Total tribalism. You Samaritans, you're defiled and dirty because you mixed with other races. We Jewish people are pure. That's what, this, that's what the deal was. Does that sound familiar? Eighty years ago, does it? We're pure. you guys are defiled. So as we think about this passage, I just want you to ask yourself some questions. What if you loved? Just that. What if you loved? Would stress be gone? How would you make your decisions? Just if you started to love. What if you started to love by God's definition? As we read here, would fear be gone? Now, I'm not talking about fear of jumping off of a cliff, but other fear, dealing with people, not having fear because you, if I'm gone, I leave here, and I'm gone, praise God I'm in heaven. Is that fear gone? Would anxiety evaporate? Would it be gone? If we loved by God's definition? What if you loved others? And this is the only two sub-questions of this. What if you loved others? I want you to think, okay, if I loved others, what relationships would change and grow? What would happen? But a second one, what if I loved others? Would they see Jesus? Do you remember what we read? This is how you're going to tell the world that this is real stuff, by how you love each other. This is pretty simple, folks. God kept it really simple. Jesus kept it very simple. The teachers, they came to ask him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. Modern day paraphrase. Love God with everything you got. Every atom of your being from your nose to your toes. Everything. love your neighbor not a five step plan not a pyramid of promotion that is the simplicity of our life while we're here by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another what if we loved others because God loves us you stand with me as you bow your your heads in prayer and i am not gonna stop from sharing the gospel because the good news is is god loves you if you're a skeptic if you're an unbeliever listen if you think you are earning your way to heaven you need to listen what i'm saying is god loved you so much he sent jesus christ to pay for every wicked thing that you've ever done or ever will do once and for all All you have to do is believe and take God at his word. This is true. This, what he said is true. Believe what Jesus has done so that you can have eternal life. We'll have pastors up here to come pray. Believer, I just want to encourage you to commit to not engaging in things that are going to separate the body of Christ, but of loving one another, another and loving your neighbor. Let us remember what it's really about. Right? You get a time that we're going to celebrate communion and you get to proclaim God's love and participating in it. This is how much he's loved me. He, Christ came, died, shed his blood for my sins and rose again. I'm going to be with him one day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, and all of us might need to be reminded about it, probably more than other people here. The true reality of what love is, of perfect what perfect love is, the simplicity of this life as a believer in loving you and loving others. So may these distractions that we've encountered within our world, within our culture, regardless if they get better or if they get worse is that we wholeheartedly commit to loving so that they might see who you are, that they might see how you've loved them and sending Christ, that they might believe in who he is, what he's done to be with you for eternity. As we partake of, of the bread and the juice, we just ask that it wouldn't it be some ritual that we consider to be self-righteousness but that we we do grasp the gravity of the cost we grasp how great your love is for us that it took a life so that we might get to be with you for eternity and it's in the power of jesus name we ask these things amen